Thank you. Have a seat, everybody. Uh, James Stevenson, our other pastor, and I, we've been away for a week, and it seems like forever coming back and seeing all your faces, but it's so great to see each one of you here today. What keeps you going when life is desperate? What's your support system when life just seems to fall apart for you? Would you say that it's your business? Would you say that it's your family? Would you say that it's your friends? I don't believe that's a good enough answer because we know that our business won't always fulfill us. We know that friends can desert us. And we know that family members can die. And we need something more substantial to sustain us during the desperate times than the temporary, undependable things of this world. In an interview that she did on Larry King Live, this was Martha Stewart, and it was just a few months after she had met, spent five months in jail for insider stock trading. And he was asking her in that interview what it was that kept her going during that time that she was incarcerated. And she said, my life is my business and my business is my life. And so it was looking ahead to her business. That's what kept her going. And Larry King said this, he said, isn't that kind of sad in a way? So here is a man who has no belief in God whatsoever, yet he understands that there needs to be something more than just business. For the first couple months of this year, we are going to be doing a study of the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to be actually looking at the ultimate hope that Peter talks about us having in life. So look at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter is describing God's people as exiles in this world. So we are temporary residents. Our real home is in heaven in eternity, but we are here as exiles for a while. So he's saying, don't get too attached to this world because this isn't where you are going to be permanently. And then he describes them as dispersed. Persecution has broken out against the church. Christians are being harassed. They're being tortured. They're being killed. Many of the Christians have now left Jerusalem and gone to different points in the Roman territory. And they know that their lives are now unstable. Their future is uncertain. So Peter wants to write to them to let them know where their ultimate hope is. Now, this section should be important to us because many of us battle discouragement on occasion. Maybe you struggle with physical problems and it's something you notice every morning that you get up that's holding you back. Maybe it's a family conflict that just seems hopeless and you can't seem to repair the damage that has been done. It could be financial stress. It could be the loss of a loved one. And you know something? Even pastors experience problems in their lives. I had cancer back in 2015. And there were a number of women in the church at that time whose husbands were cool towards Christianity, but they still liked me. And one guy even said, 
if I ever become a Christian, it's going to be in your church. So I thought, okay, that's nice. We're, we're getting somewhere. But when I was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, one of these husbands, he really liked me. And this is what he said to his wife. He said, okay, that's it. I'm not having anything to do with the God that is going to give Greg Nicholson cancer. And I thought, okay, that's pretty nice that he thinks God would take the time to give me cancer. But, but I, I was very proud of, her, of his wife's response because she said, now, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're exempt from problems in this world. Because of sin entering into this world, we have sickness, we have death. And that man is now a believer today. So she had a tremendous witness in his life. We all need this study of 1 Peter because it's a letter written to God's people, a letter of hope written to them because they were living in times of despair. So the world has an attitude of indifference. It's do whatever you want, but this attitude leaves us without hope. Now it's been said that we can go for a month, live for a month without food, that we can live for five days without water, that we can survive for five minutes without oxygen. But we have no hope whatsoever in, if we don't have hope. I need to rephrase that. So <laughs> Peter writes to us to tell us why we can be hopeful in a spiritually indifferent world. And the first thing he says is that we are God's people and part of his victorious kingdom. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So there are two concepts in here that give us continual hope as Christians. And the first one is, we were chosen according to God's foreknowledge. Remember how great it was to be chosen as part of a sports team? Now, for a lot of you, it was probably soccer or maybe basketball. For myself, it was hockey. And I was in grade 11, and I was trying out for the high school hockey team. The coach was my physics teacher, so I thought, okay, maybe I might have a little in there. And so the tryouts were held, the final list of players that made the team were posted, and I looked, I couldn't find my name. I said, this can't be right. So I went and I talked to the coach, and he said, hey, you made the team. And I said, oh, I called you Paul Cudmore. And I went, and sure enough, Paul Cudmore was on the list. He confused me with another guy in my class. But I made the team, and I was excited. You've been chosen by the creator of the universe to be part of his kingdom. And sometimes people think that that term chosen means that he chooses some to be saved and others to be lost. But that's not what he's talking about. To be chosen means that God has chosen this to be the way in which we come back to him, in which we are saved. And it's to, the opportunity to identify with God's kingdom, to hear God's gospel message, and then have the opportunity to respond. We still have to accept or reject that invitation. Now, there's a big difference between predestination and foreknowledge. Pre means causing something to happen 
ahead of time, while foreknowledge is to see in advance exactly what is going to happen because of superior wisdom. Now, I am so familiar with my wife, Pat, that when it's the hockey playoffs and a game has gone into overtime, it's late at night, I know what she's going to do when I start cheering, when my favorite team scores. I know her that well. God knows our nature so thoroughly that one guy said he knows our biography before it's even written. And Romans 8.29 says, God knew them before he made the world and he chose them to be like his son so that Jesus would be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. So God could see in advance that you would respond to his choice. And once you did that, then he predestined some circumstances that will assure that you become more and more like Jesus. He chose you. So we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience. And to be sanctified means that we are set apart. It means that we are different from everyone else in the world. And that's what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how mundane or insignificant your life seems to be. God has a plan to use you in his kingdom. You may not understand it now. You may not understand it until you get to be in heaven. But he has a plan. And that gives us hope because we're promised that in the end, the kingdom is going to be victorious, even though it doesn't seem that way right now. Remember when the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt and they finally were able to escape slavery. And they've gone all the way through uh, the desert to the Red Sea and just as they arrive at the Red Sea, they're aware of the Egyptian soldiers that are coming for them to kill them. And they don't know what they're going to do. They have no hope. But God caused a wind to part the waters and they were able to cross safely and the Egyptian army was drowned behind them. God could have parted the waters a week earlier and when the nation of Israel arrived there, here's this channel all ready for them. But instead, he waited until the last minute to teach his people to trust him and then give him the glory. The Bible says that in the last days, the kingdom of God will appear overwhelmed by the world and evil people will grow worse and worse. But you know something, that's been going on ever since the church started. Immediately, there was persecution and the martyrdom that took place. So we've been in the last days ever since Jesus went back to heaven. But we know that God will appear and he is going to reign. And at the last minute, Jesus will return in power and he will triumph over his enemies. So that gives me hope. That lets me know that life isn't meaningless. That lets me know that every day of my life means something. And then that helps me to put everything else in perspective. Because I know that the world is moving toward a dramatic conclusion. And Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to emerge as the king of kings. And if we belong to him, we will reign with him in eternity. If we don't belong to him, we will be lost. 
Back when Harvard University had a horrible football team and the opposing fans, whenever they started gloating over another score or touchdown by Harvard, the Harvard student body developed a retaliatory cheer that kept things in perspective. So the opposing fans, yeah, they're cheering another touchdown. And this is what the scholarly Harvard students started chanting. That's okay, excuse me, that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday. And that's all right, that's okay, you're going to work for us someday. And they chanted that over and over again. When Satan seems to be gaining the victory and you're tempted to be discouraged, remember, Every knee will bow someday. They will bow before Jesus as Lord and Savior. He is going to reign. And the question is, are you part of his family? We've been born again, and we are also guaranteed eternal life in heaven. So how does this born again thing come about? Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now we hope for the blessings God has for his children. These blessings which cannot be destroyed or be spoiled or lose their beauty are kept in heaven for you. So when you were born into this world, you inherited the sin nature of Adam and Eve. And you will sin. That is a given. But the sin will also separate you from God. And unless you were born again by the Spirit of God, you have no hope of getting into heaven. So the key question is, how are we born again? Peter said a little further along in this chapter, you have been born again, and this new life did not come from something that dies, but from something that cannot die. You were born again through God's living message that continues forever. So the first step in all of this is to hear the word of God. It's to accept the testimony about Jesus Christ as being true. And then you respond in obedience. You are willing to repent of the sin in your life. You publicly confess your faith in Jesus Christ. And you make that decision to be baptized into him. And I still never lose that thrill when someone says to me, I want to be baptized. And you can see the joy on their face. When... Life begins with a a child. When the seed of the husband is received into the womb of his wife, the miracle of new life begins. And then nine months later, the mother's water bursts and the new baby, sometimes quickly, but mostly after a long time, is born into this world. When the seed of the word of God is received into your soul, the miracle of new spiritual life begins. You know something unusual is beginning to take place. And the word of God continues to develop in your life until one day you say, I'm ready to respond. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to repent and be baptized into him. Titus 3 says, he saved us because of his mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. God poured out richly upon us that Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
being made right with God by his grace, we could have the hope of receiving the life that never ends. That is the life. That's the eternal life that he's talking about. Buford Bryant said, the baptistry is a tomb and a womb. It's a tomb when we die to self and a womb when we are born again into the kingdom of God. So once again, You've been born again. You have a hope that lives and endures forever. All other hopes, they are dying. But when you become a Christian, your hope is in Jesus Christ who lives forever. And that endures through downsizing businesses. It endures through rebellious children and aging bodies and eroding values. We have a hope that can never perish or spoil or fade. And that is kept for us in eternity. So it's like having an advanced reservation at a hotel when we travel. Like my brother, he likes to just travel and then wherever he gets to that night, try to find a hotel. My family, we plan ahead. We have a reservation so we can relax when we get there and know that we have a place to stay. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. So he has a suite in heaven that is already paid for in advance by the blood of Jesus Christ. And whether you check in at the age of 10 or the age of 90, it's there for you. That living hope keeps you going and gives you confidence when everything else around you might be falling apart. And we are also protected by God and exempt from unnecessary pain who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So shielded by God's power. What does that mean? If you have a motorcycle, one of my sons-in-law does, he has, uh, first of all, you have um, a screen windshield to protect you from bugs, to protect you from unnecessary wind, to protect you from any gravel that might be thrown up by a tire of a vehicle in front of you. Usually, if they don't have that, they will be wearing some type of guard on their faces. But I'm wondering what God is thinking here. Because he is protecting us, he's shielding us from the vicious head-on attacks of Satan that would destroy you and render you uh, incapable of fulfilling his will. He doesn't shield you against everything, but he protects you against the worst. And there's a great example in the Old Testament, and and that is a, a character by the name of Job. And Satan said to God, There's no wonder that Job is such a good person. You have put this hedge of protection around him and around his family. Of course, he's going to believe in you. And that hedge of protection was lowered by God so that Job's faith could be tested and proved genuine. But even though God did that, he still put some limitations on it. He said, you can't touch Job's body. You can touch his belongings. But... Later on, he was permitted to attack Job's body, but still not take his life. So Job was still partially shielded by God's power. And God only allowed the suffering that was necessary to prove Job's faith. 
we're often shielded by God's power and we don't even know it. And I, I just can't imagine how many times God has put a hedge of protection around us and, and maybe even shields us from our own foolish mistakes that we make. Maybe we realize it's Satan's goal to kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm convinced that his attacks would be even worse if God didn't restrain him. Maybe there's a crippling virus that's coming for your child, but God intervenes, and then we're annoyed because our child has a cold for a, a couple of weeks. Or maybe a mugger has you singled out, and just as he is making his launch, he hears a siren and backs off. Or maybe we look back at our teenage years, and some of you may think, it's a wonder I, I didn't kill myself. Maybe God was protecting you during that time. If we really understood how much God shielded us, instead of complaining to him about the pain that we have and about the experiences that we're going through, we would be thankful to him. We would be on our knees in gratitude for his protection. But then we notice that this hope gives us meaning in suffering and makes us thankful that it's temporary. This makes you very happy, even though now for a short time different kinds of troubles may make you sad. These troubles come to prove that your faith is pure. This purity of faith is worth more than gold, which can be proved to be pure by fire, but will ruin but the purity of your faith will bring you praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is shown to you. So to be shielded by God's power doesn't mean that we're going to be exempted from everything that is going to come at us. But God allows suffering that has a purpose. And he allowed that suffering in Job's life so that Job's faith could be proved genuine, so that he could serve as an inspirational example for all of us. And the Apostle Paul, his thorn in the flesh, that was to keep him from becoming conceited. And the list just goes on and on of people that grew through the things that went wrong in their lives. So God allows that pain that he determines is necessary to strengthen us, to comfort others, and to force us to rely on him. And he wants us to appreciate the sufferings of Jesus as well. Now, none of us are lining up and we're not saying, bring it on. Like, we, we don't willingly want that suffering in our lives, but it often serves a positive purpose in our life. So we can hope in suffering because it's meaningful and it's temporary. Even though, he said, for a short time, different kinds of troubles may make you sad, you can put up with it because you know that it has a purpose and you know that it will pass. Perhaps you're hurting right now and you're hurting a lot. You're discouraged and you don't know if you're ever going to be happy again. Don't lose heart. Continue to put your hope in Jesus Christ and he'll get you through this. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, we have small troubles for a while now, but they are helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. So God is temporarily using that pain to deepen you, to actually refers, Paul refers to it as gold that is tested by fire. 
hot and painful, but in the end, it's going to be valuable and virtuous. There was a nurse that told about one of her first experiences in nurses' training, and she said she was actually in a burn unit of a children's hospital, and she had to take a scrub brush, and that's a scrub brush, not a, a soft sponge, to the badly burned arms of an 18-month-old child who was screaming in pain. And, and she had to scrape away all that dead tissue in order for the child's skin to heal properly. But she was hesitating. She, she just couldn't do it because it was so painful to the child. But then the doctor showed her a couple of pictures of children who experienced the same burns and they didn't have that dead skin scraped away and their arms were all scarred and stiff and shriveled up and the arm had no movement. So she knew that even though it would be excruciating pain for the child. It was essential for the skin to become supple again. Peter said, you have not seen Christ, but still love him. You cannot see him now, but you believe in him. So you are filled with a joy that cannot be explained, a joy full of glory. And you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So God is allowing that pain because he is going to use that in incredible ways in your life. Warren Wearsby said, when you're in the furnace, God keeps his hand on the thermostat and then his eye on the clock. He is only allowing you to go through that as long as you can stand and as long as it will make a huge difference and growth in your life as a result. There's one more reason for hope. And we have uh, uh, the knowledge of the gospel and we understand God's overall plan. So verses 10 and 11. The prophets searched carefully and tried to learn about this salvation. They prophesied about the grace that was coming to you. The spirit of Christ was in the prophets, telling in advance about the sufferings of Christ and about the glory that would follow those sufferings. The prophets tried to learn about what the Spirit was showing them when those things would appear and what the world would be like at that time. They were actually privileged to have a full understanding of God's plan of salvation. We have the whole written word before us. But the prophets, they actually didn't understand all of that. The very people that predicted the coming of the Messiah, the suffering of the Messiah. Isaiah said that he would be like a sheep led to the slaughter. And even though he said that, he didn't fully understand his own prediction. In verse 12 in 1 Peter, it was shown them that their service was not for themselves, but for you when they told about the truths you have now heard. Those who preached the good news to you told you those things with the help of the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven, things into which angels desire to look. So even the angels 
didn't fully understand God's plan of salvation. So the angel Gabriel, when he stands before Mary and he tells her that she is going to give birth to the Son of God, Gideon didn't know what was going to happen with the cross. He, he didn't understand all of that. The angels in heaven when were amazed at the events as they unfolded at Jesus' crucifixion. And the scriptures tell us there were 10,000 angels with swords drawn and they were coming down to intercede but God restrained them and even the fallen angel Satan he didn't fully understand because when Jesus went to the cross and his body was placed in that tomb Satan thought I've won it's victory the son of God is gone but Revelation 12 12 tells us the heavens should rejoice together with everyone who lives there. But pity the earth and the sea because the devil was thrown down to the earth. He knows his time is short and he is very angry. So what was hidden from the prophets and the angels and from Satan has now been revealed to us. And we understand that Jesus' body was hurt because of us. Our wrongdoing wounded him. Our wrongdoing crushed him. We understand that Jesus' pain was his glory. So the cross was his finest hour. It provided us with forgiveness. It provided us with eternal life. But there's a key here. If the moment that appeared so hopeless for Jesus was actually his finest hour... Shouldn't we know that suffering should also be for our glory? Because the scriptures say that God works together all things for the good of those who love him. Johnny Erickson Tada was a guest on Larry King Live at one time. And I gave this as my prompt to the band when we prayed together before the first service. When I start talking about her, come to the front. And then I get these strange looks from all these 20-somethings and I realize I'm talking about someone older than myself here. But some of you may know her story. She was an Olympic skier, but in a skiing accident, she was paralyzed from the neck down. She became a quadriplegic. But she was an incredible believer. She was an amazing example to so many others with her life and her faith in spite of what she was facing. And she wrote books. But Larry King had her on her show, or his show, because he had some questions about her mouth painting. And he asked her about that. And here's what she said. Mouths weren't meant to hold pencils or brushes. Hands were. I look forward to heaven so much because not only will I paint murals, but I'll have the use of my hands back and I'll really jump up, dance, kick, do aerobics. And I hope I can take this wheelchair to heaven with me. And I would be standing there next to my Savior, Jesus Christ, and I would say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair? Well, before you send it to hell, I want to tell you something about it. You were right when you said in this world we would have trouble. And, and there's a lot of it being a quadriplegic. But you know what? The weaker I was in this thing, the harder I leaned on you and the stronger I discovered you to be. Thank you for the bruising of a blessing it was, this severe mercy. 
If your hope is in your business, if it's in your status, even in your family or in yourself, then I want you to know you need to have the living hope. God chose for you to be here today to hear his word. And he invites you to be born again, to be set apart for his purpose. He wants to prepare a place in heaven for you. He wants to have that full suite. This isn't just a tiny little room like we had when we were in Poland on our mission trip. This is a full big suite that he has ready for you. And all you have to do is respond and receive that living hope.